Hello and welcome to this Endo Life. I'm Jessica Duffin. I'm an Endo Warrior and Endo Health Coach, and this podcast is all about living and thriving with endometriosis. As always, this podcast is here for educational purposes only. Please consult your medical practitioner before making any nutritional changes or bringing in any supplements. Before we dive into today's episode, I want to give a shout out to my lovely sponsors at BU. And I wanted to tell you about their new bath bombs, which are naturally made and contain beautiful essential oils. And their peppermint and eucalyptus essential oils um, bath bomb is doing so well right now with endometriosis community. They're getting loads of feedback about it. And, you know, if you love the patches themselves you're going to love the bath bombs because essentially it's (laughs) the patch in a bath bomb um so you know if you're on your period or if you're in pain you could have a bath with some of the bath bombs or one of them i don't know you could have multiple if you want um and then yeah get out the bath maybe rub in some cbd balm and put your patch on top, which is um, what a lot of people are feeding back that they're doing. So um, I would love to do that, but um, I don't have a bath, so I can't. But if you have a bath, um, then, you know, I think these new bath bombs could be a lovely way to help alleviate some of your pain. So if you'd like to check them out, you can go to BU which is buonline.co.uk and you can also order them from anywhere in the world on cultbeauty.co.uk and they deliver worldwide. So before we dive into today's episode, I wanted to give a shout out to the lovely girls at Semaine. They are two sisters with endometriosis. They've been on the show before and they founded Semaine, which is a supplement company for people with periods to originally, their first supplement was to aid with PMS and period pain. And I know that it is a lifesaver for so many people with endometriosis and painful periods. I absolutely love that supplement. It's really helped me when I've had to kind of follow protocols for SIBO or, you know, I've had a stressful time and I've been worried about my period. I've been able to avoid a flare with that supplement and they've always been so kind and um, kindly sent me sent me them when I when I've needed them. And now they've come out with a new supplement called the Daily, and it is a hormone balancing supplement, which is designed to help with healthy skin, stable mood, fewer cravings in your luteal phase, blood sugar balance. And they recently gifted it to me. Honestly, I said this to my client the other day. My blood sugar levels have never felt so stable as they did when I was taking that day, daily supplement. As you guys know, I I work very hard to stabilize my blood sugar levels because that will keep inflammation down and it also ensures that you have healthy balanced hormones. It's, it's really, really key. And I have a history of having really unstable blood sugar. Originally growing up, it was because of my eating disorder. But then in later years, it was much more down to firstly following a vegan diet when I didn't understand how to build my plate, a healthy blood sugar balancing plate. And secondly, because of my microbiome and my microbiome because of SIBO is built to actually extract more glucose from my food and cause blood sugar instability. This is actually a really key piece 
of blood sugar. If your blood sugar is resisting all of the strategies you're trying, that is a massive clue that your microbiome is affecting the way that your blood sugar is is being controlled in your body. So we need to work on that, work on your gut. And mine has improved mine has improved massively, but I still react much more um erratically than someone else would to blood sugar fluctuations. And I couldn't believe the difference. It was like I had a whole month of like stable blood sugar. It was incredible. And as a result, I had much more of a healthier cycle. I felt a lot more satisfied. I had less food cravings. I just felt a lot more stable in energy. So I'm a really big fan of this. And as I said, blood sugar is a huge piece to managing your hormones, hence why blood sugar is such a big part of their their supplement. So the girls have kindly given me a discount code for you guys. It will get you 20% off your first um, order, whether that's the daily or the PMS and period support capsules. And the code is ENDOLIFE, one word, all caps. So E-N-D-O-L-I-F-E. And that code is valid for the next six months, I believe. So you can use it at any time. Um, So let me know how you get on with them. I'd love to hear if you find them as amazing as I did. And I hope that they bring you a happier and healthier cycle and period. Hi, everyone. I hope you are all having a wonderful week. Um, This episode is a couple of days late just because this is my last week before I go on my Christmas break. And I've had back-to-back client sessions. I've done a masterclass. I've done podcast recordings. It's been a really busy week. But here we are, and I'm really excited about this episode. I think it's going to be a real treat for you guys. Dr. Sarubala is just a wealth of information, and she makes it so accessible. So I'm really excited for you to listen to this episode. So Dr. Sarubala is a licensed naturopathic doctor with a degree from Bastia University in Seattle. I have no idea if I've butchered that. And prior to attending medical school, she actually received her bachelor's degree in neurobiology from University of Texas in Austin. So she is a smart woman. She's also done extra training in the areas of women's health and naturopathic endocrinology. And her passion area and really her focus of working with patients is managing chronic hormonal issues like PMS, period pain, fibroids, endometriosis, all of these conditions that are affecting you guys. And I have to say, not only is she this walking wealth of information on hormones, she's also hilarious and she breaks down really complex and confusing topics with so much ease on her Instagram. And I actually first came across her watching one of her reels on period pain. And it was just so accurate. It was so on point. Um, It, you know, it was hilarious. And I felt that it was so easy to understand um, for anyone watching. I just became an immediate fan um, and have just loved her work ever since. So it was a real highlight for me to have her on the show. So in today's episode, Dr. Sarubala and I are talking about PMS. And I know so many of you and so many of my clients come to me with not just symptoms of endo, but symptoms of PMS as well. And typically, 
you know, when we address one, the other one improves as well. But today we're really focusing on PMS, why people have it, why it's been normalized in society, and some really easy and accessible steps to begin minimizing your symptoms and actually being able to become PMS free. So in this episode, we discuss the definition of PMS, some of the typical signs and symptoms of PMS, the causes of PMS, and it's not just about your hormones, whether some people are more prone to PMS than others, why PMS has been normalized for menstruating people and whether PMS is just a part of having periods, lifestyle changes that can reduce the prevalence of PMS and nutrition changes that can help to reduce PMS. Um, And as I said, there are some really accessible tips in here. So um, I hope that you come away from this episode with some tangible steps to start getting your PMS under control. All right, here she is. Welcome, Saru, to the podcast. I am so happy to have you here. I've been a big fan of your Instagram for a long time and loving your reels. So it's great to have you here and to talk today. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm excited. So for anyone who doesn't know you and, you know, if people aren't following you or aware of your work, I highly recommend you go to the show notes, you click on Saru's Instagram and you just watch all her reels. But if they don't know you, can you introduce yourself and the work that you do? Yes, absolutely. So I am a a naturopathic doctor and I specialized in women's hormonal health. And particularly my favorite topics are period pain and PMS because There's just so many people who are unfamiliar with the fact that you don't have to deal with these symptoms. And I think a lot of people get told that they do. If you have a period, you just have to deal with pain and PMS and feeling miserable every month. And I just absolutely love being able to advocate for women and being like, no, this is not stuff that you have to deal with. There is a lot that we can do. And it doesn't take, you know, an arm and a leg and a hysterectomy to get you there. So. I'm just, I love doing, you know, what I do and being able to educate women all over about how to eat and sleep and have a daily routine and which supplements and herbs can be beneficial for all of these symptoms that they might be experiencing. Okay. You're speaking my love language. I can't wait to talk. <laughs> so, exciting. so I really want to go back to the, the basics and the foundations of PMS today. I have, you know, when I see clients, obviously they come to me for endometriosis, but mm-hmm. I often go over signs of hormonal imbalances and, and PMS. And most of them have, especially especially mood swings, most of them do have PMS. A lot of my, you know, listeners um, or followers will talk to me about their their hormone imbalances and their PMS. So let's start with what the definition of PMS is, because I think it's a bit of a throwaway term um, and it's become a bit of a meme, people being moody and like, you know, I'd love to kind of get into the science of it. What actually is it? Yeah, absolutely. So if you look, if you look at the research, it would say that PMS can be defined in like 90 different symptoms, but the main symptoms when we say PMS In the literature, it's the psychological symptoms. So like the mood swings and the anxiety, the depression, anything mood related. But I think colloquially, it's been a lot of also the physical symptoms like pain and uh, cramping or headaches and migraines and all of those other things. So I think PMS has kind of just been a term to say all of the horrible symptoms that you might be feeling before your period starts. And I think that's kind of how a lot of people use it now too. And I sort of use it interchangeably, but 
technically we're talking about the mood symptoms. And then when we go take it a little bit further into PMDD, it's when those mood symptoms have affected your daily life and you're unable to have the same quality of life. You're unable to function in your life. That's when we term it as PMDD. So PMS and PMDD can be very, they're, they're both pretty similar. It's just PMDD has gotten to a point where it's really severe and impacting your life. And PMS is, is more just like, oh, I'm really irritable. I, I have these horrible mood swings. I'm feeling a little anxious. It only lasts a few days, but it's manageable kind of thing. Mm. And in terms of, you're saying, you know, there's, in terms of literature, they're saying PMS is really about the mood swings. Um, So I guess from a research perspective, what would the cramps and the sore breasts and the bloating and the kind of water attention come under, right? Right. I think now the research is probably is more including the the physical symptoms as well. I think mm-hmm. initially when when PMS became a thing, it was just the the phys- or the psychological symptoms. But I think now it does include those those symptoms. I would put that under. I personally would put that under PMS. So when okay. I ask my patients like, "Are you experiencing PMS?" I'll then elaborate and say mood swings, irritability, headaches, migraines, bloating, fatigue. You know, all of the all of the symptoms they could be experiencing. And for anyone who is, you know, I don't know, tuning into this podcast for the first time and they're really new to this world or cyclical health and hormone health, when would they typically see these symptoms kick in in their cycle? So typically it's anywhere the week or two before your period starts. If it's happening all the time throughout your cycle, I wouldn't term that as PMS. So if you're like, well, I'm always experiencing these, probably not PMS and more of um, some other hormonal issue or fluctuation. But if it's happening, usually it happens anywhere from like the three to seven days prior to your period starting. And that's when I would say that's most likely PMS. Mm-hmm. And then it would clear clear up once the period begins. Right, exactly. Yeah, once your period starts, it's kind of like a clean slate. I I like to think of it as an etch a sketch when you like shake it and everything clears. <laughs> That's kind of how I feel about the PMS symptoms. Like as soon as your period comes, it kind of like washes away everything, and you feel kind of back to your usual self again. Yeah, I mean that's a great analogy. I love that. Um, and it's so funny because, I mean, I've been traveling for like six months now and um, some months it's like wreaked kind of havoc on my hormones, different time zones, like traveling, different food, like being stressed, mm-hmm. like, you know, traveling is fun, but it's it's stressful. And it's funny, you know, I have endometriosis, but I've spent years like training in it and working in it and, and supporting myself. So now my favorite time of the month is literally day one. Like I look forward to it, but I've started to have like these PMS symptoms. And so it's made me, makes me look forward to like day one even more. Cause I'm like, I can't wait just to like, feel like, I feel like my, my most self, like my best self really on day one. Um, and I love the day, you know, I just love having that day to myself and just to, just to relax. Um, yeah, it's for like Netflix and children. Yes. <laughs> oh my god, it so is. I'm such a hard worker as well. So I I need that kind of permission yes, to do it. Exactly. I love that. I love it. And also, I think a lot of women just feel their best in their follicular phase. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's kind of a universal thing. My husband likes to call the follicular phase the um, the love phase because that's when I start to love him again. <laughs> 
That's hilarious. I think, yeah, my boyfriend would probably say say the same. But, you know, I, I appreciate that most people listening are tuning in because they don't have a great, you know, day one of their period. But I just, the the contrast for me is now so interesting to have, like, day one is is so good, but just these lifestyle changes in the past six months have brought on PMS that I haven't had for a long time. So, um I mean, I guess that's a good segue into what causes PMS. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So there's so many different things, right? It's it's kind of a multifactorial thing. There's blood sugar issues that can cause your PMS symptoms. There's um, uh, sleep issues. There's cortisol regulation issues. There's issues with just inflammation, prostaglandin levels. There's issues with um, your hormones, your estrogen and progesterone levels. So there's, it's very multifactorial. You can't just say, oh, well, your progesterone levels are low. Your estrogen levels are high. It's that, that could be a combination com- or sorry, it could be a combination of that with, um, you know, all these other things we mentioned too. So I would say it's it, depending on what your symptoms are, it, it can be multifactorial. And I mean, in terms of the cortisol, the blood sugar, um, at least those two, those would be kind of the end result is that they are screwing with the hormones, right? So like, but right. also blood sugar imbalances make you feel more anxious anyway. They they cause um, they, yeah, make mood swings, more. right? They make exactly. it worse and they screw your hormones. So. Exactly. Exactly. So it's kind of like a, I can't tell you how many women I've worked with who, um, what, all we did was work on their blood sugar and they're like, my yeah. PMS symptoms are gone. I don't have like the mood symptoms. I don't have the anxiety and the irritability and the, and the up and down feeling and the fatigue. They're like, I don't feel that anymore. And all we did was work on their blood sugar. We hadn't even changed any of the other stuff. So you would be surprised at instead of blaming, you know, estrogen and progesterone, it's actually your blood sugar that act, uh, causes a lot of those uh, mood symptoms and and the fatigue too. It's definitely also can be coming from estrogen and progesterone, but I think we discount how much of it is actually also coming from um, your blood sugar and your insulin regulation. Yeah. I mean, blood sugar is, is huge. And I, I mean, I typically work very early on with my clients on blood sugar because I see such a mm-hmm. big difference and the world is not set up for supportive blood sugar like we're taught you only care about blood sugar once you have diabetes and I was like why are we getting diabetes (laughs) right exactly like what are we doing before you get there what are we doing to prevent that (laughs) yeah it's it's absolutely crazy and you know I guess from the the sleep perspective we know there's so much research right that like lack of sleep um mm-hmm. is one of the leading factors in the development of depression and anxiety and then also worsens those as well um mm-hmm. i know it upregulates pain signals uh also yep. causes um insulin resistance temporary insulin resistance the next right. day so that's exactly. screwing with the blood sugar as well exactly yep so everything is so related yeah absolutely yeah even one night of poor sleep can mess up your insulin levels and blood sugar regulation the next day mm-hmm. and how i think a lot of people listening because endometriosis is an inflammatory disease, because a lot of people with endo also have um, a SIBO, which creates this inflamed gut mm-hmm. and often like an inflamed body. Um, you know, they we've got like those lipopolysaccharides escaping from SIBO, creating inflammation mm-hmm. in the full body. So how does inflammation create these PMS symptoms? So... It- 
it go I would say it can go along with you know the mood symptoms mm-hmm. a lot it can definitely go along with like the pain and the cramping for sure a lot of inflammation you're going to have that excess of prostaglandins you're going to see a lot of um cramping and pain when you have um an excess of those prostaglandins cuz it's literally causing that contraction and it's con- causing that um the cramping feeling so the more of that you have the more pain you're going to have and you know inflammation like you said it it's causing issues with the gut that's causing issues with with your sleep that's causing issues with your mood and your um and your blood sugar regulation it's it's kind of one of those things where it's it's this non-specific thing that's causing so much havoc yeah and would you um i mean I remember, gosh, I don't know how many years ago now, probably 10, before my endo was under control, like I would have, you know, endo pain for four days before my period came from the inflammation. Um, You know, I was having that cramping sensation where really, (laughs) you know, we don't want we don't want extreme painful periods. There might be mild discomfort. Um, Mm -hmm. I was but we shouldn't be getting like all of this kind of cramping for multiple days prior to your periods. That would be a good sign that someone was inflamed. Absolutely. That's a good sign. Signs of like breast tenderness, headaches, migraines, the period flu symptoms, um, which are like where you feel really lethargic and tired and you just every month you're like, I think I'm sick. And then your period starts and you feel normal again. That's that period flu, the period poops where, you know, as soon as your period starts, you get um, a lot of uh, like frequency or you're pooping a lot or you have diarrhea, that can also be a symptom of inflammation and just excess of prostaglandins. Um, so it can show a lot of acne prior to your period can also be that inflammation, um, uh, fatigue. I feel like a lot of the PMS symptoms can, can be correlated with inflammation. It's just, where is that inflammation coming from? Is it your high insulin levels? Is it your, um, lack of cortisol regulation? Is it your elevated estrogen levels? Is it your, like, where is it coming from? So that's kind of where, you know, inflammation can be this vague term that is causing all these symptoms. But then if we, you know, follow it down the line, we kind of see, okay, it's coming from these X, Y, Z pieces. Yeah, absolutely. And do you see, or or is it in the literature, um, that some people are more prone to PMS than others, you know, especially this endo community or even in PCOS community, which is very overlapping with, with endo? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, do you see this people, more people prone to it? I think when you have these other issues, like when you have a blood sugar issue, when you have issues with your sleep, when you have um, some of these like gut issues, then yeah, absolutely. You're definitely more prone to it because those are the kind of factors that we see that are causing those PMS symptoms. So I wouldn't say it's hard to be like, oh, if you have endo, you're also going to have PMS or just because you have PCOS does uh, means you're going to have PMS. Because I do see people who have, um, who have endo or who have PCOS. PCOS who don't necessarily have those symptoms because we're working on those other pieces. So I would say anyone, regardless of their diagnosis, if they're having issues with insulin regulation or poor nutrition, poor gut health, poor sleep, poor cortisol regulation, whatever it might be, will probably be um, more prone to having PMS symptoms. Mm. And actually, because we've, you know, we've really highlighted it so much, um, could you list some kind of clues, signs that would indicate to someone that maybe their blood sugar, you know, needs a little bit of work? 
Yeah, absolutely. So a lot of the things that I typically ask when I am working with people, I'll say, how do you feel after you eat? Do you feel one, do you feel full? And two, do you feel like you need to take a nap about 30 minutes to an hour later? Because if you feel really tired and exhausted after a meal, that's a sign that you're probably getting that like spike and crash. And so that's something that we want to avoid by stabilizing your blood sugar a little bit there. Other things would be if you feel really energized and then as soon as you eat, your energy just completely tanks, um, mood swings throughout the day, brain fog throughout the day that kind of fluctuates up and down. Like if you feel really good when you wake up in the morning and then you crash later after you eat, um, that's kind of a good sign there. Um, that, afternoon slump around three or four could also be related to cortisol, but I also see that that blood sugar piece plays a role there. Um, what else? I feel like those are kind of the main things I would see. Is there anything else that I'm missing that you can think of? No, I mean, I guess the you might have said this already, but the really obvious one to me is like that hanger and that like, I'm starving. Mm. Like I have to eat now. Like I, I notice a lot of clients who have blood dis, uh, blood sugar dysregulation, especially overnight, they wake up like so shaky mm-hmm. and so yes. like just ravenous. Starving. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I remember being like that before I, you know, before I studied all of this, I remember coming home um, when when I was working in employment and being on the train, like, oh my God, I'm going to faint because I'm so, so hungry. And mm-hmm. I was just having to eat all the time because my blood sugar was so dysregulated, but I, I had yes. no idea. I was, I was hungry yes. all the time and all yet I was having time. these massive start. meals. Yeah. yeah. And you know, I was having, I'm God, now I look back and think about the meals I had, they weren't unhealthy, um, mm-hmm. but they weren't well balanced. You know, I, right. I would have like, like rice, sweet potato, falafel, hummus, all on like one plate with some pita and then like salad and be like, oh, it's all plant-based. This is so healthy. Right, exactly. And I think that's also something too I would add to the list of of blood sugar issues is um, you're constantly craving carbs because your body is just looking for that next spike in your sugar to keep you going and not, and then you get the crash and then you're looking for the carbs again. So if you're constantly feeling like I want something sweet, I want something carby, I want on something bready that's another sign that hey let's you know stabilize that blood sugar let's get those insulin levels down so that you don't constantly feel like you're having to um, look for your next snack just a reminder that this episode is sponsored by bu These natural patches last for 12 hours, so they bring you prolonged relief and can begin working on relaxing your muscles before the pain kicks in, so you're prepared even if your period comes during the middle of the day. Some people even find that wearing them a night before their period can really help soothe the inflammation in the area. To shop, just head to the link in my show notes. Yeah, absolutely. And I know we're going to dive into, you know, ways through nutrition and lifestyle that we can support these areas. But I did want to just kind of go into this myth of PMS, like that it's just normal. And so many, I don't know if you've experienced this, but so many of my clients were told by their doctors that this was just the way it was. I suppose, you know, from a point of view of endo, like, you know, going to doctors as a 13 year old being like, I'm getting horrific period pain, I'm passing out, I'm vomiting. But also the PMS symptoms 
telling them this is just what it is to be a woman, here's the pill. Um, Mm -hmm. Do you see that as well? And why is this myth so prevalent? And is it true? (laughs) I mean, definitely not true. If If you're ever getting told by anyone, regardless of who it is, not just your providers, but even your friends and and other like, you know, moms, aunts, people in your life who are like, oh, that's just a part of, you know, being a girl, being a woman, like you'll get used to it. No, like that's, it's not normal. And it's, it's not something you need to put up with because I think it's just normalized in our culture. Like, look at how, look at how most people eat, look at how most people live. And and of course we're having these issues. Of course, this is the quote unquote norm. Is that healthy? No. But is it what we see in most people? Yeah. And I think it just becomes normalized because so many people are having these issues. That doesn't mean um, that we should just say, yeah, that's what you should be expecting. Um, So I think if we can understand what's going on in our body, understand how our body works, how to regulate our blood sugar, how to get good sleep, how to eat for our body, how to take care of our gut health. We're going to feel better and you'll start to see that. And then you're like, wait a minute, that wasn't the normal, how I used to feel. This is normal. This is what healthy looks like. So, and I think the more people that start to see that and understand their body and understand how they can take care of themselves and how good they can feel, you can't go back once you feel that. And then you start spreading the word like, Hey, wait, this isn't normal. We don't have to have mood swings. We don't have to feel angry and grumpy and tired and breast tenderness and pain and, you know, just chained to our bed. Like that's just not how we have to feel. And I think that it's, it's still hard at this stage because society is not set up for cyclical people, right? It's not, you know, most of the research up until fairly recently was based on men, you know, medicine wasn't designed for women, you know, the society wasn't designed for women and we are doing jobs and working a kind of, um, a system that was set up for to benefit men and it doesn't benefit mm-hmm. our bodies. Um, and Absolutely. so, and even the research is not, yeah, like you mentioned, most mm-hmm. research is done on, on men, not only men, white men. So, yeah. you know, that's yeah. just a very specific population of the world. And then we also are seeing the only treatment is birth control. And when did birth control come out? It's been like 60 years since birth control came out. And that's still our only option. So there hasn't been any new research to try to even figure out new options for any of the hormonal issues we've been struggling with. And so there's a lack of research. There's a lack of research on the right people. Um, so, yeah. And, and, then, and then, yeah, like you said, we're set up in a society where it's kind of male dominant. Yeah. And we're kind of made to feel like the wacky like the wacky ones like teaching like really weird like (laughs) weird strategies and stuff so what are you know what are these I mean let's let's jump into nutrition because I find that juicy are there any nutritional changes especially from a blood sugar perspective that can help reduce PMS and I'm interested to hear what your approach is to doing that in a sustainable way that doesn't feel like overwhelming. Absolutely. I usually start for people with adding more than taking away, especially if you're having issues with your blood sugar, especially if you're having issues with fatigue and and brain fog and, um, and the mood swings, I would say add protein. Most people are lacking the appropriate amount of protein 
for how, um, how they're living. You know, I think if you're very active, you can get away with eating more carbs, but most people have a pretty sedentary life where we're sitting in a room in an office at our chair all day long, and we're not getting the physical activities. So then you're going to need a little bit more protein to stabilize that sugar. So I shoot for at least 30 to 40 grams per meal. If you have known insulin resistance or prediabetes or even diabetes, and it might be a little bit more than that, but at a bare, a bare minimum, you want to be getting at least 30 to 40 grams of protein. And once my patients start to get that, they're like, wow, I feel so much better. I have energy all day. I don't feel like I'm crashing. My moods are stable. I don't feel hangry. I don't feel like I need to be reaching for a snack all the time. And they're like, I like my day feels different because they just ate a little bit more protein with their meals. So that's my biggest tool that I love to give to people is, is include more protein in your meals. I mean, it's such a simple hack. And I think, I mean, I don't know about other people listening, but I like to be told to eat more. So right? <laughs> it's a no. nice <laughs> thing to do. And I right. mean, for for your like plant-based clients, um, is how difficult is that? Is that possible to get that 30 to 40 grams in? Like, how do you navigate that? It, is, it is possible. It does require a little bit more effort and planning and energy and I would say it's not as easy as the ones who are eating animal-based proteins, but it's not not doable. I do have women that I work with who are plant-based and they're still finding ways to include that protein in their in their meals. Um, they do end up eating a little bit more than the average person might just to get that protein. And mm-hmm. um, you know, sometimes supplementing with with um things like tofu or um protein powders are also part of their their rotation, which is fine. You know, every now and then we do need to, to change it up and, and that's okay too. But I would definitely, it's not, it's not as easy because there's less sources of protein ring. You have to eat a little bit more, but it's definitely doable. Yeah. And I guess the, the tricky part is a lot of the protein sources are also complex carbs so then exactly that does make it a little bit harder. So you're, you're also increasing your carbs as you're increasing the protein. So that is the tricky part, especially in my PCOS women. But for the most part, most of my PCOS women end up eating animal-based proteins. Mm-hmm. And is that like the main area that you focus on in nutrition for PMS or is there anything else that that's helpful from like an inflammatory perspective or some of the other areas we touched on? I also do work on gut health. So depending okay. on where your gut health is at, it, it just kind of it really depends. Like if you have something like SIBO or parasites or dysbiosis in general, we're going to want to do some antimicrobials, make sure that we're getting rid of that overgrowth, make sure that we're adding in a little bit more um, support to your gut flora at that time. And then we'll also kind of talk about um, ways to support your fiber intake. I think most people are not getting the amount of fiber they probably think they're getting. So I say shoot for anywhere from eight to 10 grams per meal. So it can be a lot of fiber. And I think most people get maybe like zero to three grams per meal if we're, if we're really looking at it. So adding in more fiber can also be not only beneficial for your gut, but also helpful for, um, excreting your hormones, lowering, you know, your lipids and triglycerides and all of those pieces. So I think fiber is fiber with your protein can be really helpful for that. Again, blood sugar regulation and just inflammatory gut health piece. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm curious, do you, um, like how quickly do you work on gut health? I think because 
so many, so many people with endometriosis have SIBO and it's quite overwhelming for them. So I try to um, start with sort of first line therapists with gut health, like try and make it simple in the beginning before we go through a SIBO protocol, because there's so much already going on. Um, But obviously it's tricky because gut health plays a big role. And I'm just curious, like, when do you do, do when do you bring that in? Do you try and get blood sugar and inflammation as under control as you can before you start? Or do you find it's, it's... I find that it's all connected. So we mm-hmm. kind of do everything a little bit together. You know, I yeah. I talk about nutrition always, always, always in the first visit. And so we talk about are there inflammatory foods that are triggering for you that we need to remove? What can we add in? Um, what kind of support can we give your gut while we're doing all of this stuff? So it's kind of just all mixed in together. Um so that we're addressing multiple things at once without having to go super hard and have to take like 800 supplements and cut everything out of your diet. Like it's not a super intensive plan, but it is a comprehensive plan. Yeah. And it, I mean, adding in some extra fiber and protein sounds, <laughs> sounds very doable right. um, when you're not you know, taking, taking lots away. And then from a, mm-hmm. A lifestyle um, perspective, are there any needle movers that you see very effective there? Yes, with sleep. Sleep is huge. So we really, really dial in that sleep hygiene. And I really like to see what people are doing that hour before they go to bed. So I always like to ask, you know, what's your bedtime routine? What are you doing? Most people are saying they're watching TV or on their phone. And so that's probably what we'll start with first is really dialing that bedtime routine. And at least an hour before bed, you really want to make sure that your environment is dark enough to produce melatonin so that you will feel sleepy and not wired when you're trying to go to sleep. Um, And then about 30 minutes before you go to bed, you really want to make sure that you're uh, avoiding screens at least 30 minutes. I would say longer if you can, but you know, when you start, it can be rough. So I say start (laughs) with 30 minutes and, and really avoid that because, you know, you wake up in the morning and you just go, your day starts and it doesn't stop until you hit the pillow again. And your brain didn't get any time to process anything that happened that day. You were going, 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 talking to people, working, you're on the computer, you're checking emails, you're checking social media, you're scrolling through TikTok. Like you're constantly stimulated all day long and your brain just needs a minute to process everything that happened. And you will feel better when you get that time to wind down so that your body and your mind can be like, oh, we're getting into sleep mode instead of going straight from scrolling your phone into let me lay down. Your brain is like, hold on. I was just watching a video about whatever I was watching. Now you're trying to get me to go to sleep. Like there's just a disconnect. So giving yourself at least 30 minutes to to wind down, to do something non-stimulating, to slow down can be really helpful for your brain and your, your cortisol levels and your melatonin levels. And then lastly, I always like to end with paced breathing. Paced breathing is just so important, not only for mood, for your nervous system, for winding down, for your cortisol, for your gut health. It brings more circulation to your gut when we get into that parasympathetic state from doing um, some breathing. So I always like to end with some breath work for at least 10 minutes and make that the last thing you do before you go to sleep. And we usually with these three pieces, people are like, I am sleeping so well. I'm falling asleep easily. I'm staying asleep through the night. I'm waking up feeling, you know, less tired. 
because they got into a deeper state of sleep. They got quality sleep. They got REM sleep. They got the recovery that their body was looking for and they start to feel a little bit better. That's amazing. What, so what type of breathing, is that something that listeners can, can do? Is it a certain count that you're doing? Absolutely. So I like this app called Breathly. It's B-R-E-A-T-H-L-Y. It's a free app and it's basically just like a breathing timer. You can go into the settings and turn on guided breathing so that you don't even have to look at it at night, which I love because, you know, we, we just wound down without screen. Yeah, you know, right. have to look at a screen. Oh, so you turn that on and it's just this lady saying, inhale, exhale for whatever time you choose. And I usually tell people at least 10 minutes. Um, and you can do kind of whatever um, sequence works best for you. I personally really love the four inhale, six exhale. My husband loves five, five. Um, I usually say anything that's not, um, that doesn't include holding your breath. So yeah. any, um, any length of inhale and exhale like to do is great. And that app is one of my favorites because at, you know, when you can set a timer and when you, when it's done, it turns off. So even if you fall asleep to it, it's fine. It turns off on its own. And that's breathly. Breathly. Yep. Okay. I'll put that in the show notes. That sounds really good. Um, and yeah, I'm yeah. say I don't like the, the holding and I don't like box breathing. It, it makes me more yeah. anxious. So then I'm kind of just mm-hmm. stimulated before bed, which Exactly. I find that's actually helpful for, um, like if you're feeling tired throughout the day and you're like, I just need, instead of reaching for coffee, box breathing might be helpful. Mm, Um, but then at night you don't necessarily want to do the breath holding. I think it, like you said, it can be a little bit more stimulating for people. So I like doing, uh, just a longer exhale than an inhale. And for me, that works really well. Okay. I'm going to try box breathing throughout the day. Then when I'm like feeling like I need to pick me up and give that a go. Exactly. So for anyone who's like, okay, this is definitely me. I've definitely got PMS and they want a kind of first stepping stone an initial stepping stone. Do you have any, I mean, I'm assuming it's individual, but is there like a generic first step that people can take? I think most people would probably benefit from addressing their nutrition and gut health. I think if you're experiencing some level of PMS, there's probably something going on with your gut. You might have constipation or diarrhea or gas or bloating or indigestion or feeling nauseous or getting that crash after you eat. Like most people have at least one of those symptoms. So I would say starting there can be really helpful for just all of, all of your hormones are getting excreted through your kidneys and your gut. So if you're not pooping and peeing regularly, you're going to have issues with your hormones. You're going to have issues with inflammation. So start there, start with addressing how much protein you're getting and how much fiber you're getting. And if there's any other dysbiosis, you know, working with a provider who knows how to manage those antimicrobials and help with the dysbiosis, that can be so helpful. But at the very min, at the very minimum, I would say, start with the fiber and protein. You would be surprised at how much of a difference it can make for your gut health. And I have a couple of people who are like, I, um, It took me a while to increase my fiber intake because if you go from eating no fiber to 10 grams of fiber per meal, you're going to feel really bloated. So that is something to keep in mind. Don't, you know, don't go from zero to a hundred, go and start slow. I, I usually typically like to say a cup of veggies with your meals. Um, that can be a cup of spinach in your smoothies. That can be some bell peppers in your eggs. That can be, you know, whatever it is, just a cup of veggies with your meals, um, is a good place to start. 
Okay, amazing. And if people want to work with you or want to reach out to you, how can they get hold of you? Yeah, absolutely. So my Instagram, my TikTok, my newsletters are all great sources of just free information. Um, And then if you want to work directly with me on my website, I have information on how you can join my program. I have an online course if you're super far away and can't work with me. Um, So there's a lot of different options. Um, And I have all of that information on my social media and my website. Okay, perfect. So I'll put your website and your social media in the show notes so everyone can just head there and, okay. and check out your your work. So Saru, so. thank you so much for being here. This has been so interesting and I just it's such a good reminder that these foundational things like blood sugar and sleep have like such a profound impact on how we feel on our day-to-day lives and actually can you know if they're not being looked after it can be quite debilitating um so yeah thank you so much for your knowledge and wisdom and these really awesome tips like everyone go and eat some more protein (laughs) protein go need some more fiber yes absolutely and get some sleep (laughs) yeah Um, awesome thank you so much for having me you're welcome so that's it Thank you so much for listening. If you want to find out more about what I do or read more on endometriosis and living well with it, um, you can head to my Instagram page, which is this underscore endolife. Um, you can head to my website, which is www.thisendolife.com. And you can also get um, a free guide to managing endometriosis naturally on my website. Um, I've put the link in my show notes. It's a beginner's guide to getting started and all of the areas that I um, have worked on to help reduce my endometriosis symptoms and pain and live well with endometriosis. As always, if you like this show, please rate, review and or subscribe. It really, truly does help others to hear the podcast and hopefully will help them to live better with endometriosis. This episode was produced by The Pod Farm. Whether you're an established podcaster or just getting started, visit thepodfarm.com to see how they can help you go from an idea to a finished show that's ready to be heard by the world.